Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? Ladies and gentlemen, and anyone in between, welcome back to What Do You Got? This is episode 52. We are a week behind. Unfortunately, I came down with COVID and that screwed up things for a little while. Um, But we are back and I feel better and fine. And Rob is better and fine from being himself. And now he's more better as himself. Um, Huh? (laughs) I'm just saying you're better as a person now than you were two weeks ago. Objectively untrue. Objectively untrue. What does that mean? Are you by, worse? By by any conceivable metric, I am always getting worse. Oh, okay. Okay. So scientifically, Rob is always going to be a shittier person as we progress through the course of this podcast. So from episode one, Rob is like, all right. To now, though, Rob is like kind of the worst. It's it's like an inverse version of Matthew McConaughey's Oscar acceptance speech, where he's like, "My hero is me." Five years from now, <laughs> either that or it's like a personality Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just get to be a shittier person as you get older, which I mean, let's let's be honest, happens to a lot of people. Um, let's pitch that movie. <laughs> we sh- we should pitch that movie, but in a later episode, as today's episode is going to be. I don't know the genre you went. I went horror. I'm guessing yeah. you did as well. Yeah, thriller. Yeah, thriller, horror. Um, so without further ado, as always, uh, we're just going to jump right into it. We don't really have much else uh, to discuss at the top of the episode. Let's um, just jump right into it. Let's just jump right. Make sure you smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. I don't think it's a subscribe button. I think it's a review button. On we should just podcast. talk really, really fast like Philip DeFranco. <laughs> the entire time. What's up, you beautiful bastards? This is what you got. Um, I think you just said Baba Ganoush. <laughs> um, Rob, why don't you take us through this article that you sent me at the beginning of the month um, and uh, and tell us tell us your thoughts. Tell us, tell us this story. What's the digs? What's going on? You, you sound far too enthused for the subject matter we're about to get into. Super excited and positive about what we're about to discuss. Rob, tell us the, the fun facts of this article. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> this is an article from um, mentalfloss.com. Uh, Which I think we've gotten a couple from here. We use, I think we use their site every once in a while. Yeah, they, they, they come up when I tend to search for sources about things that aren't Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> um. Regardless, I'll mostly be reading from Wikipedia today just because it's more succinct. <laughs> um, but the Mental Floss article I like because it, it starts from a perspective of someone who uh, may have witnessed some events in this missing person's case. Yeah, it is a cool narrative to show it from the gentleman's perspective and then what that gentleman witnessed and why it was relevant. So uh, this is the story of the Yuba County Five. Um which tends to come up a lot in, uh, you know, most mysterious missing persons cases. Now, these were all uh, young men from Yuba City, California. Uh, all of them uh, were friends who played on a basketball team together, and they all had um, mild intellectual disabilities, learning disabilities, or uh, psychiatric conditions. Uh, I believe that's all how they all came to know each other. So in 1978... In February, they all, uh, the next day they all had a big basketball tournament they were going to be playing in. And that night they decided to drive out and see uh, the UC Davis basketball team play, kind of cheer them on. Um, So they went to uh, watch the game, uneventful. On the way back. uh, Real quick, I, I didn't actually look this up, but Yuba County, I'm guessing that's North California, right? Uh, yeah, it, it's northeastern. I think it's it's near the mountain ranges. Okay, okay. 
Uh, let me double check here on the map. Yeah, Northern California. Okay. Um, although they drove around quite a lot that night. That's um, true. So on the uh, on the way back, uh, they stopped at a, uh, a convenience store, bought some snacks and sodas, milk. Uh, that's the last time anyone definitely saw them uh, alive. Anyway, obviously, uh, uh, having the disabilities that they had, their parents waited up for these men. They were all in their early twenties. Uh, they didn't get home that night. The police were informed. And uh, they went back and forth, of course, along the route they would have taken up to uh, Chico to see the game. Found no sign of the guys. But uh, a few days later, a forest ranger told the police he had seen an abandoned car along uh, a road up in the mountains. Uh, obviously, that became a major source of uh, investigation. It was discovered it was the car that they had been driving in that night. It had been abandoned. Uh, they were up uh, at the snow line. Car was kind of in a snowdrift, but there was no reason that five men shouldn't have been able to push it out. So this is one thing I wanted to discuss because in this article they talk about this a lot, like how come the, and and we'll we'll get to this stuff in more detail. So the list I'm giving right now isn't isn't necessary, but you know how come the window was down? How come they couldn't push the car out? How come they didn't bring all the food? All that stuff is like. But at the top of the article, they discuss that all of these men had learning disabilities, schizophrenia, psychiatric issues. It's like, I, I think we have an easy understanding of why some of these, what we might consider, um, you know, normal thought behaviors would not occur to these men who had learning disabilities and intellectual issues. Yeah, there's a few, there's a few examples of certain like approaches they took to problem solving or, or not solving problems at all uh, that are discussed. But, you know, major questions that came up, why did they drive so far out of the way Yeah, uh, they were, up into the mountains? Because they were supposed to go south back home after the game, and they ended up going like 70 miles east. Uh, yeah, way off of any direct route. Uh, no one could even speculate as to why. It was a dirt road, too. Yeah. Heading up into a forest Nothing in the mountains. Yeah. Which uh, I, I, sometimes I think a, a lot of people don't really understand, like, because in cars, I guess 70 miles isn't that long, but 70 miles out of your way, you know, like, and this is the 70s, there's no, there's no GPS, there's no map quest or anything like that. So like, yeah, you really wouldn't notice unless you saw signs saying you're headed east instead of south or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think once the pavement stopped, I might have gotten concerned. Yeah, right. Um, so they found the car, uh, window was open. And it was unlocked. Immediately, that guy's parents said he was really into that car. He would not have left it that way ever. Right. Uh, also, he really would not let anyone else drive it. Yeah. Um, they were unable to find the men. Uh, of course, now we get into the part where someone else had driven up there uh, and had a heart attack. Yeah, this was this was Joe Shonez. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it. But he was literally having a heart attack while he was driving that route to see if it was, I guess, uh, safe enough to bring his family on a trip. Maybe there was snow on the ground or something and he wasn't sure. Yeah, doing some uh, doing some scouting. And yeah. over the course of about, you know, six hours, the man is in tremendous pain, passing out and having having a heart attack. Uh, I think uh, I think it started. He was trying to push his car. And he saw um, two sets of headlights. Uh, one was definitely a truck. Saw a group of men, a woman, and a baby. They continued yeah. walking and ignoring him. Uh, he yelled, and the lights all went out. Uh, this this adds a weird, weird wrinkle to the story. Uh, he eventually woke up in his car uh, out of gas, and now it's not warm anymore. Walked down the mountain. Uh, past the car of the young men with no occupants. He figured it belonged to the men he saw walking along with a woman and child. Mm -hmm. Again, that freaks me out because who are these people? Yeah. Um, but he might have been the last person to see them, might be a key piece of evidence. We really don't know. It's, it's interesting because I, I am curious if people in the midst of heart attacks are prone to hallucinations because it says in the article that he says he was very ill at the time. Obviously he was having a heart attack. So he said yeah. he might've hallucinated the woman and the baby. And I'm, I'm curious to know if hallucinations are actually a symptom of heart attack or, or if it's just because of, you know, the environment he was in being alone, that that would trigger something like that as opposed to the heart attack itself. 
yeah, it's uh, it's a wrinkle, and I don't really know how to smooth it out. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that he would see the five men and then hallucinate a woman and a child with them. You know, like if anything, I feel like he would hallucinate a whole group or no one at all. Or yeah, adding like, details is weird. Yeah, or like at least five men and then he sees ten men. You know, like doubles or something like that. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's why this thing is such a recurring element in like what the fuck happened stories. Yeah, and I'm wondering if Joe Shonas is still alive. He was 55 in 1978, so well, that was not. 44 years ago. So I'm gonna yeah. say he's probably not 99. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just playing playing the Vegas odds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you know, these boys were really excited to play their basketball game the next day. Hell, they had their uniforms all laid out on their beds. I have no absolute clue as to why they went out of the way. But um, continuing on, they were unable to find the boys. Uh, I don't know. Everyone referred to them as the boys, despite them being in their 20s. 20s to uh, 30s, even, yeah. Yeah, one of them was 32. Um, even snowstorm started. You know, It was February up in the mountains, so they had to call off the search. Snow cats got lost in the snow. They did. They couldn't go any further. It yeah. wasn't until June, uh, months later, that remember they this discovered. was February. Yeah, uh, which is really, really upsetting and unfortunate. Uh, that they found four of the five uh, men's bodies. Now, two of them they found along a trail deeper into the woods. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, two of them they found along the way. They had been mostly eaten by animals. Uh, They mostly found bones. Were able to determine that they had both died of hypothermia. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did find a third body. Really, I don't want to say body. It was a backbone. Um, Animals get to these things quick. Yeah. Um, Which was also one of the young men. He had also died of hypothermia. And in a trailer that campers and uh, park rangers tended to use as a kind of a way station and a supply depot, they found the fourth body of one of them who had died of starvation, which means he had been alive for quite some time. Which is also fascinating because, again, as I stated in the in the issues they they discuss at the beginning of the article, um, they had a lot of food. They had a lot of food. They had a, a, a propane tank for, for heat as well they could have used. Um, again, it's it's interesting, but at the same time, they they were they were men with, with learning disabilities and schizophrenia and things like that. So I guess it's it's not as much a situation where it is someone with a I don't know what you would call it a, a, a normal normal brain activity whatever someone uh, you know n- neurotypical yeah. neurotypical yeah it's not someone like that who gets caught in a situation like this and makes those mistakes which again you still can't really just rule them out it's a situation you've never been in it's a situation the victim has never been in you can't exactly you can't guess how someone's brain is going to react to a situation like this unless they're like an eagle scout you know Pretty much, yeah. I, it's it comes up a lot. It's like, oh, all these mysteries. Really, the only thing I find especially mysterious is why they went up there in the first place. Yeah, um, it, it brings me back to the article of the uh, which which we've done on the podcast. The group of Russian men who went camping and then had like all like the the nuclear. There was like nuclear radiation on their bodies and stuff when they were found. Remember? Oh, the Jetlov Pass incident. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's like things like that where it's like all these things like, oh, how, how come these people were separate from the others and stuff like Because you just don't know how people are going to react. You're not going to react in a perfectly calm and sane way when you're in a situation of survival that yeah. you don't have any training in. Yeah, I'd be screaming and pissing my pants at a certain yeah, point. Absolutely. I mean, um, I, I'm I do it on a weekly basis. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> just screaming and pissing my pants. <laughs> Uh, so I want to read about uh, the evidence from the trailer, um, which is interesting. So the fellow in the uh, trailer who had passed away, that was Ted Wire. He was found on a bed with eight sheets wrapped around it, uh, including covering his head. Autopsy showed he died of a combination of starvation and hypothermia. He had lost which, nearly half his body weight. Which if he covered his head, or at least his head was covered, I'm guessing that one of the other men did that. 
Must be. Yeah. Because, uh, well, first, his, his, the growth of his beard suggested he'd been alive for as much as 13 weeks from when yeah. he had last shaved when they left. Both of his feet were very badly frostbitten and on the point of gangrene. So he was not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, next to him were personal items like his wallet, uh, a ring with his name on it, gold necklace he wore, and some items that were not his, like a gold watch that didn't have its uh, crystal face hmm. and a candle. So, And they also couldn't find his shoes. Now, the puzzling thing was that no fire had been set in the fireplace of the trailer, despite the fact that there were matches everywhere and you could use whatever for kindling, including all these paperback novels for hikers to read. Uh, yeah. There was a storage locker with heavy-duty clothing, which could have kept them warm. They had eaten some rationed cans from a storage shed outside, but they did not go into a locker in that shed that that held enough dehydrated food for all five of those men for a year. Yeah. Uh, there was speculation that they, you know, had broken into this thing in the first place and didn't want to get into any more trouble. <laughs> Which is, again, it's sad, right? Because that's very probably... Sad. That's probably their their disabilities that are kind of giving them those those repercussions that wouldn't exist, you know. Yeah, there's a a story that they tell that you know one of these guys um, had to be like dragged out of his room one night during a, a fire in the family home. His ceiling was on fire, yeah, and he didn't want to get up out of bed because he was worried he would then oversleep and miss work. Yeah. Yeah, so those type of things, it's not like, oh my god, why didn't they eat the food? Why didn't they use the the heater and stuff like that? It's like that's unfortunately, it's probably because of their their yeah. It's a lot of very tragic responses to things. Yeah, um, you know, there was heating system in there. They hadn't turned on the butane butane tank for it, uh, and ultimately, yeah, he he passed away in there, um, unable to move and unable to feed himself. The remaining member of the team, Gary Mathias. Uh, they found his sneakers in there, but they couldn't find Ted Wire's shoes. Uh, Mathias has never been found. Um, no evidence of his body or where he may have been. Which is so surprising to me because how uh, how far could he have gotten from the other four? Obviously, they were found sort of within distance from each other. Um, for Well, let's say that Sterling and Madruga, their bodies were found 4.5 miles from where what do we say? Weirs? Wires? Uh, I would go with wire. Wire. Uh, where his remains were found, which means, you know, if if maybe Matthias was the one to last the longest, he might have gone further into the forest. But yeah, looking for help, maybe. Uh, it says that they found this trailer in the first place just by following a, a divot in the snow yeah. from where a, a snowcat had gone before. If he followed another trail going deeper into the woods who knows Yeah, because the the trailer they found was a forest service trailer uh on a campground site which i'm guessing is you know like a uh sort of like a um uh uh park rangers like you know lookout almost that has provisions and things like that for for first aid kits and stuff like that oh yeah it was absolutely full of everything you know you could possibly want in this situation yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like being stranded on a desolate island after a shipwreck and then realizing there's a five-star resort on the other side of the island you know <laughs> these, these things always happen when when people are, are not prepared for these things like you know uh into the wild but that guy christopher mccandless he you know starved to death uh, living in a bus in alaska and yeah he didn't know that like a mile up river he could have crossed back into civilization not only that but there's a, there's a lot of and i i love john krakauer i love his books and i love the story of into the wild um and, and the, the movie with um uh Oh my God, Elijah! Oh, what's his name? Anyway, you, you're talking about an actor. Yeah, yeah, the guy. Who oh, Emil Christmas Hirsch. Movies. Emil, Emil. I always say Elijah. Emil Hirsch. <laughs> um, the movie's fantastic, but there's so much romanticism around Chris McCandless when there absolutely should not be. If you nope. speak to anybody with any survivalist instincts, knowledge, intellect, they all say he was an idiot. He did things he should not have done. He he absolutely did not follow the rules of the land, and that's the reason he died. He 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 yeah. died out of out of sheer lack of knowledge of of his surroundings and not taking seriously the the environment that he was in. 
you know, two similar stories, but with very different sort of purposes behind what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, both very preventable. And you got to yeah. feel bad for these for these families just because they're left with so many questions. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And it's that that's the thing. It's like kind of knowing from the families from the family standpoint, like, you know, why did this have to happen? That's, you know, that's going to be any family of the victims. That's going to be their, their train of thought. But yeah, it's, it's, it's more heartbreaking, obviously, when they were preventable deaths. Mm-hmm. So really, that's the end of the story. There's not a lot else to say. There were some people uh, making claims that they had seen the men at different times uh, that really can't be verified. Um, that, that is, it's it's such a fascinating idea for me to think that you might have been the last person to see someone alive. You know, like you were hiking through the woods and you saw these five guys walking through the woods. Like maybe you're like, oh, they're out on a nightly hike. That's cool. And then a couple days later, you find out they're missing and stuff. It's, like, it's got to be a weird feeling to know like, oh God, I saw them, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird story. I don't think it's quite as, you know, creepy, mysterious as some make it out to be, but it does stand exactly. out. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, I think that is answered by the, the disabilities that the men had. A lot of the questions asked in the mental floss article are, how come they didn't do this? How come they didn't do this? Because neurotypical people might not even do that given the situation that they're in. So it's not as much like, oh my God, how come they didn't, eat all the cans of food how come they didn't use the fireplace you know because that's just their brains weren't really afraid to do that yeah um so that's ultimately the story and uh yeah gary matthias still uh still undiscovered i wonder if they have him uh if he's uh, legally listed as missing or or uh, presumed dead or whatever they i think just missing yeah, I guess so if they never find the remains, right? Yeah, you really um, can't jump at it. Um, so with with that being said, uh, since this was Rob's pitch, we're going to let him go first. So Rob, I'm going to ask you the question. What do you got? So I wanted to do kind of a, a thriller-esque mystery. Um, taking elements of this that stood out to me when I first read it and not going so much into... The, the, the true story of the matter, which is just mm-hmm. sad. Um, so I came up with a movie called Sierra Nevada. Okay. Uh, director Ethan Cohen. <laughs> There's our brothers, or at least just, one Nope, of. just one Cohen. Just one <laughs> Cohen. <laughs> and ultimately what I wanted to do was uh, a disappearance story that probably doesn't have much of a resolution either. Okay. And in this... Um, a school sports team, I guess it would have to be basketball for the winter, is um, on their way back from a game. I would say, you know, a basketball team is what, like 12 people? So yeah, it's, five it's, starters uh, and then, yeah, 12 in total, I would say, right? Yeah. Um, so om- almost 12, maybe a couple of the seniors had driven to the game, but almost 12 uh, young men on the bus, a coach and a driver uh, that does unexpectedly wind up in the mountains and goes missing. Okay. Uh, but the focus I, I wanted to have on this was on a, a young police patrolman who makes a promise to one of the mothers that he's going to find these kids. And he's going to find the bus and that everything's going to be okay. And we cut to 40 years later. Hmm. Uh, so the, the fellow I have playing him is George Clooney. Ah, um, this has He's been someone kind of... that the Coens tend to like. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, uh, now just about to retire um, as a police detective sergeant. And this has been the white whale case because they never mm-hmm. found the bus. Um, he plans pretty much his entire retirement around this case, uh, buying a cabin up in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Oh, okay. Um, meeting people there and essentially continuing to search and work on the case. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I took inspiration from a lot of different things for that, but I just thought it would be really cool um, to do a very, very cold case um, kind of things. We talk about, you know, mysteries that we like, like Zodiac and stuff like that. Right. But that's as it's happening, as evidence is coming in, 
uh, as wrinkles in the case happening, kind of looking back on things and the big part of like the forest search, uh, is, I thought it would be fun to do. Is Clooney the only one you have cast? Um, yes, I didn't really think I had to, you know, cast missing people that we see right, for 30 right, right. seconds. <laughs> and in your idea, or at least from what we have so far, we can get into this further, but does he solve the crime? Do you know? I was trying to figure that out. I think maybe he does. I was trying to put a pin on this. I think he finds the bus, but I don't think it ultimately answers any questions. Okay. I think maybe it adds more questions. Like they're not on the bus. How did it get here? Yeah. Yeah, And it's in a very strange location. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like, I don't want to say in a cave, but it's in a crevice like right by the peak of the mountain with like, with like no road that could have led them there. Yes. I like that. I like not knowing, especially because it's fictional. This, this story you're creating is fictional. Um, The idea that you, you can have it unanswered. You don't need to have a Da Vinci code where every single thing leads to an answer. That's all, you know, wound in red yarn, you know? (laughs) Yeah, there was this Australian movie I saw a long time ago called uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock uh, mm. about um, it's it's semi-based on a true story of these Australian schoolgirls going missing. Um, and yeah, they just never find them. Yeah. And it's a really like frustrating mystery. And I'm like, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes it's better. You know, mm-hmm. when everything's kind of wrapped up in a neat little bow, it kind of takes away the mystery. Yep. It also takes away the, the, the discussion aspect of it, of, you know, film is an art form and it is meant to enact a, an, a reaction and you mm-hmm. want a discussion about that. So having it, you know, look, look at inception, you know, people are oh, still yeah. talking about the ending of that film. Was it a dream? Was it not? Those type of discussions are needed and necessary for, for film as a whole, especially in mystery. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, at the end he finds that bus, it just adds more questions. And of course, you know, new evidence so the case gets taken out of his hands and he really doesn't have anything yeah anymore Mm -hmm. just kind of like a weird lonely george clooney who's pushed pushed everyone away Mm -hmm. uh up here on the mountain just by himself unable to put the pieces together and he's pretty much gonna die with that and and brad pitt shows up at some point yeah sure brad pitt uh (laughs) brad pitt is a slightly younger more handsome detective (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh that's kind of the bones of uh an outline of a pitch for okay. me uh nick what do you got okay um i went more instead of mystery i guess it's more of a folklore horror mm-hmm. um uh i'm keeping it in the 1970s but i'm switching location we're going to be in the uk and england um i was doing some as I was reading this one, I started thinking about like, what kind of like folklore creatures could have something to do with this, you know, like a Wendigo or a siren or whatever, something like that. Wendigos are so overdone. They're in episode one of supernatural. Exactly. (laughs) So what got me was the the quote unquote hallucination that Joe Shona's had of the woman and the baby, the baby stuck out to me. So I started thinking about different folklore creatures and forests and things like that. And I came across the black anise, which Ooh. is a witch, um, a boogeyman figure in English folklore uh, from Wikipedia. She is imagined as a blue faced hag or witch with iron claws and a taste for human flesh, especially children. She's said to haunt the countryside of like, like Lancastershire, like Lancastershire something like that sure english english (laughs) living in the cave in the dane hills with a great oak tree at the entrance so she's sort of a boogeyman character where parents say if you don't behave she's gonna come and eat your flesh because you know that's what parents like to do their children sounds like a less interesting baba yaga (laughs) right yeah um but if you look up some of the imagery of what people have designed her as like artwork and stuff she's terrifying as all hell um so my, my premise is uh, four friends, uh, four college friends who are on a road trip through uh, the UK. 
whether they are English or not doesn't matter so far in the in the story. Uh, but it does play, take place in the 70s just so we can get them into the desolate forest area without GPS, cell phones, yeah. and things like that. Um, they're run off the road by an oncoming car. And the oncoming car just disappears. As their car is stuck and probably, you know, busted, they can't they can't get it out of a ditch or something like that, similar to the story. Um, they go on foot and they travel on the road because they're not stupid enough to just wander into the forest when they could just take the road towards wherever they're going. As they're walking, they see on multiple counts the same car pass by them. Huh. Uh, same color, same make, same model, whatever it is. Um, and it just kind of passes by them and then disappears. They never see another car on the road. So this is when they start to get spooked, right? So now they're like, okay, well then let's get off the road. Let's go into the woods. As they go into the woods, they always see the headlights behind them sort of off in the distance from where they came. No matter how far in they are, they always see the headlights. Two miles into the woods, they still see the headlights off in the distance from behind them. Till they come across an old cabin to take shelter. And as they get into the cabin to warm up and, you know, try and find some sustenance or make a fire or anything like that, suddenly the car is parked outside of the cabin, headlights shining directly in through the window, uh, car idling. I think you're um, a Silent Hill game. <laughs> I haven't played one of those in a long time. Um, obviously, the two men of the group, two guys and two girls, uh, go out to check on the car, finally, you know, trying to confront what's going on. But they don't find anything or anyone in the car. What they do find is a small cave to the side of the cabin with an oak tree at the front. Basically, the premise, obviously, is that the Black Anis is trying to chase them down, hunt them, and kill them. Now, why? Because it's a folklore piece about a witch that hunts down poorly behaved children. We then start to uncover a recent issue that the four were involved with at college. I'm not entirely sure what that issue is, whether it is... Um, whether it's something really dark, like sexual assault, or if it's something more along the lines of like they were at a party and someone accidentally died and they're responsible for it. Uh, the four of them have, you know, skeletons in their closet that the that the witch is now trying to take revenge on them for. Uh, so that's kind of the uncovering throughout the film is how all four of these characters are involved in something more sinister, sort of in the tune of like, I know what you did last summer, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's just about the four of them trying to fight it off as the witch evidently ends up consuming all four of them. Um, so also in the sort of vein of Blair Witch, but you'll be able to see what's going on. Um, my director of choice is Andre Overdahl, uh, who most famously has directed uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, but that's not one of the movies I used uh, for my reasoning as to why I wanted him in uh, the director's seat. The main two movies are his native Norwegian film Troll Hunters, which Troll is Hunters. absolutely fantastic if you've never seen it. I think they made an American version that was trash, but the, the original Norwegian film is phenomenal. I know Rob has seen it, but for all of our listeners. Phenomena? <laughs> Phenomena. Um, <laughs> but also for his, his first American film, which was The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which is one of the best oh, i didn't know that was him yeah one of the best exorcism films of the last like 20 years um i want him as my my director for kind of those reasons uh especially he has the he has the history and reputation to work in the woods with troll hunter um and then the scary ass version of autopsy of jane doe with that movie which is very terrifying uh my cast is made up of alicia vikander dylan Minetti. Uh, Journey Smollett and Tyler James Williams, um, Alicia Vikander, obviously Oscar winner and Lara Croft, uh, Dylan Minetti. If you don't know who he is, he's been in. He was just recently in Scream Five. He was in the Goosebumps movie. He's been in a lot of horror. Uh, Journey Smollett from Lovecraft Country, as well as Birds of Prey, and 
Tyler James Williams, who happens to be Chris from Everybody Hates Chris, uh, <laughs> as well as one of the main characters in one of the best sitcoms um, currently on television, which is Abbott Elementary. Um, I have not seen it. It's very, very good. It's It's got itself in the vein of The Office and Parks and Rec while still doing its own thing and being very positive for uh, teachers and their, oh. you know, the things that they do for their children, um, for their classes. It's very good. Pour um, one out for the teachers. Yeah. Um, and then the, the title, the title of my film is so far at least, and I'm not, I'm not crazy about it, but it's something uh, is the Oak beyond the road. Um, since that is said to be the entrance to her cave. So obviously at some point they're going to, go into the cave and explore and things like that. Uh, the Oak beyond the road, just around the corner from the place beyond the pines. <laughs> it is a sequel. Ryan Gosling will be in this one. Even yeah, as will not. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my, that's my pitch. That is the folklore horror movie uh, that I went with. Um, Ooh, all right. Time for some Frankensteining. I have a feeling we can do this one really well. I think so, and I th- uh, I'm going to propose a structure for you. Okay. Yeah, of concurrent plot lines. Uh, sure. Okay. Um, in that your essentially your thing is happening concurrently with my thing forty years later. Concurrently with your thing forty years later, so we're telling both stories at the same time, but mine is in the seventies, yours is in present day. Yep. Okay, I'm about that. Um, now, so is, is your character trying to discover the missing characters from my story? Yep. Okay. Okay. So we have George Clooney trying to, you know, uncover the mystery of the four college students who went missing in the seventies. Um, do we, I want to keep it in the UK just because it is, um, the, the the folklore character of the Bob the Baba Yaga look at that did uh, the Black Anis is uh, from the um, the UK. Well, I mean, we could use that character without using the the United Kingdom. That's true. I guess it doesn't have to be there. It's just that that's like there. It's it's kind of like using the Jersey Devil in like Portland, Oregon, though. For me, at least, <laughs> <laughs> you just you just don't call it the Jersey Devil, or you don't call it the Black. It's Anis. true, yeah. You just use a witch, basically. Yeah, um, yeah I'm good with that. Um, Besides, our ancestors brought all their monsters here with them, anyway. That's that's true. Stupid white folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Okay, so let's see. So we we concurrently do between the 19 let's say let's say 1978 because that's the year the article actually takes place um we do 1978 for the four characters of my film and then we take george so is george clooney's character going to show up in 1978 as a young very briefly yes okay just explaining Um, why he, he feels a personal connection to this okay um so then we can currently go between times. So between 1978 and 2022. And do we do a sort of what's, what's the movie I'm thinking of a movie where you explore a, it's been done a bunch of times, but a movie where you explore a, so honestly sort of scary stories to tell in the dark when the girl is in the mansion at the end and we kind of see it from the past and the present at the same time. Yeah. I like that. That's that's what I'm kind of thinking mm-hmm. there. Um, ironically, scary stories to tell in the dark. That's funny. Um, <laughs> what else? What else? So I guess as, um, I, yeah. I, I guess like, you know, we've, we've really got kind of a, a lot of the A to B of it already. I guess a resolution is more what we're looking for right now. A resolution. And then we need to figure out what the what the kids actually did that that are causing the the issue for for the the witch hunt if you will because mm-hmm. it should be it should be something obviously bad but if it's like sexual assault that's like four people and that's i, I don't care for that <laughs> yeah um halloween party okay 
uh, during a prank on a on a less popular younger person dressed as a witch, um, kind of playing into the whole witch riding on a broom thing. They accidentally mm-hmm. push her to her death off the top of a dormitory. Oh God. Okay. So maybe, so the four of them, or maybe like the two guys and the girls help them cover it up or whatever, or the girls do it and the guys help them cover it up. Yeah. Okay. That, that works for me. So I wonder, does, does Clooney delve into the, into that mystery? I think, um, hmm. I think, I think by the end of the film, he's presented with, by the force being able to have evidence of, of what happened to those four or being able to bring some closure to the parents of that uh, girl who died on campus. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the latter. Yeah. So there's sort of closure for maybe that girl's family. Yeah. And then even un- though this, this four people missing case thing was his white whale. He discovered the reason they went missing. But of course, since it was a folklore creature that ended their lives, he never really uncovers that. He just finds out that they were involved in a. a Yeah, he finds some piece of evidence. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Maybe maybe one of their journals or something. Yeah. Oh, shoot. I just like knocked my speaker (laughs) over. Um. Okay, so then Clooney at that point, that would I guess that would be the ending cuz I, I do we do sort of a double twist where he uncovers it but then maybe there's something in a skeleton in his closet that has the the witch come after him so he can never actually reveal the answers or information he's he's gotten. Oh yeah, sure, definitely. Maybe that first year that he was on the force, um, you know, his uh, older and more experienced partner did something particularly heinous. You know, like you know, shot a shot someone unarmed and then planted a gun, and he, you know, he kept his mouth shut because he was yeah. the new guy. Yeah, yeah, he was the rookie, so he he yeah. let it happen. All right, so we're using and that happening. You know, around the same time these four went missing, he's got them tied together in his head. It's like, you know, if I can find these four kids, uh, it'll you it'll know, make I will up have, for yeah, yeah, it'll make up for what I've done. And it's at that point where the witch is now chasing him. So I would say, like, he ends up forty years later. He ends up staying. You said he like goes to a cabin to like explore, right? So let's say he ends up staying at the cabin. Where yeah, the like he he's happen. just retired. Yeah, so this is his this is his cabin now. Yeah, oh, he ended up buying it. Uh-huh. He ended up buying it and actually using it. And people are like, you don't think that's a little weird? Like, this was the case that you were... Even... But he's trying to keep it from people. He's not like, I'm going to solve it. He's like, no, I just... I feel it like... It's, you know? it's Yeah, it was available. <laughs> it feels like a good kind of closing chapter for me to yeah. end where I was not able to, you know, finish something back then. But he's the um, same obsessive he's always been. I'd love to see Clooney in, like, a horror like this. I can't remember... What's the closest he's ever come to to Revenge of the the Tomatoes? What was it? Revenge of the Tomatoes. From Dust Till Dawn would probably be the closest, right? Yeah. The last time he at least did something horror adjacent. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people, especially in the mid-2000s, took their kind of, like, horror turn. Like, you had, what, was it Michael Keaton and White Noise? A lot of big-name actors. Oh, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. A lot of big-name actors kind of took a supernatural horror film in the mid 2000s there was a lot of money in uh, in horror at that time everybody was doing it and now speaking of apparently the black phone is absolutely fantastic that i'm hoping to see this weekend Um, yeah me too it was uh like it made i was talking to matt the other day and it made 23 million on opening weekend off of a budget of 18 which is insane for a for a new horror ip yeah, I think people are are interested right now in new IPs. We've been pretty flooded recently with the uh, franchises. I can't take any more Marvel movies, dude. I'm sorry. I love them. I like watching them. I cannot keep watching Marvel movies and Marvel shows and Star Wars movies and Star Wars shows and DC movies and DC shows. I just can't keep doing it. I need something else. I need something <laughs> to cleanse the palate. So I think Black Phone should hopefully be able to do that for me. <laughs> um, I mean, I think so... I want to do me a favor and Google black Annis. 
Okay. Because I just want you to see the first image you see is kind of the image that I envision for the film because it's it's really creepy. Like I want something terrifyingly creepy. Oh yeah, it's a weird blue witch with like oh, she's the a character kind of... on Doom Patrol. Is she really? Yeah, that's the second image. Oh yeah, you're right. That's pretty cool. That's sort of similar to what yeah, I'm. Yeah, they got the the iron uh, uh, fingernails or whatever they're supposed to be. That's pretty. Yeah, they're supposed to be iron. That's pretty cool. Um, awesome. I mean, that's basically a movie. <laughs> there's also we... there's also a pre workout uh, powder called black <laughs> anise. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It kills yeah. children. Um, <laughs> it's powdered children. Powdered children. Uh, so are we going with Andre or Ethan Cohen for the director? Uh, Andre, 100%. Andre, and your movie was called Sierra Nevada. That doesn't really work. The Oak Beyond the Road, I'm still just not sold on. So, I, th- I think we could do something a bit more thematic. Yeah. Something, I was trying to like, look, she has like a, uh, like a poem uh-huh. in the, in the Wikipedia article. And it's a, let's say, uh, popularized Ooh, by a poem, the poem. John Hayrick uh, from county folklore but here's an excerpt from that tis said the soul of mortal man recoiled to view black anise's eye so fierce and wild vast talons foul with human flesh there grew in place of hands and features livid blue glared in her visage whilst her obscene waist warm skins of human victims close embraced not without terror they the caves survey where hung the monstrous trophies of her sway Tis said that in the rock large rooms were found, scooped with her claws beneath the flinty ground. Livid blue. Ooh, livid blue? Mm-hmm. I like that. We can use that. Livid blue. Thank you, long dead poet. <laughs> John Hayrick. Ah, his name doesn't matter. Oh, (laughs) give credit where credit's due. (laughs) Yeah, poets disappear into the wind all the time. Dust in the wind. All we we are are is dust in the wind. (laughs) Um, Awesome. I think we have a nice little folklore horror film here that George Clooney can uh, definitely steal the show with. Oh, of course. <laughs> I like the idea of going back and forth between timelines. I think that's a, a really good way to convey the, not only the thriller aspect of it, but the kind of like the mystery of it. You know, we're seeing it from both sides simultaneously. Yeah. Evidence be being weird and not matching up. Yeah. It'd be an interesting way to um, kind of uh, thematically show the story. There's apparently a, a book series called Black Annis. Ooh. And now I'm curious about this. Available at your local book provider. <laughs> it looks like kind of like a YA series, like uh, like The Witcher slash The Hunger Games slash Twilight. <laughs> that's that's pretty broad. It is very broad. But if you look at these images, you'll agree with me. Oof. Although the the female on the cover of each book reminds me of. Um, oh, no. Female. What is her name? Uh, Emmanuel. Tricky, how do you pronounce it? Tricky, it looks like her. Oh, um, I'm pretty sure it's the same art, like our character on each book. It definitely looks like it. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I think I think we have ourselves a filmy then. Yes, let's let's stop uh, doing free promotion for a book series. (laughs) (laughs) We have no idea anything about. All so, right. Friend of the show, Black Annis, the OYA <laughs> Aubrey, Oh, shoot. What was her name? Aubrey something was the author. Um, <laughs> uh, folks, thank you for thank you for listening. Um, it is a uh, it's a tough time out there right now after the uh, it, jumping jumping gears here real quick uh, after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, stay stay healthy. Stay happy. Stay safe. Um. And, you know, uh, focus on the good. There's a lot of bad out there right now. A lot of bad out there right now with with all these things going on, political discourse and such. Um, try to focus on the positive. Focus on friends and yeah. family. Focus on things that bring you joy. Uh, and hopefully, 
our podcast is one of those things. And remember, the the home addresses of the Supreme Court justices <laughs> Have are definitely dust. not easy to find. You should <laughs> definitely not look up the home addresses of multiple members of the United States Supreme Court to harass them at their homes. Don't do that. No, absolutely not. Do not do that at all it wouldn't it would not be easy to find that information it would take a lot of time yeah and then definitely don't disguise it in a jpeg of cats and share it on (laughs) facebook and twitter anyway on top of that uh there is one way that everyone can help alleviate this situation and very simply it's vote um local elections state elections country elections, all the way down to the local level is where it starts. Uh, do your research. Don't just fill out bubbles on a cheat sheet. Um, find people who who accurately uh, mirror your your beliefs and your, your thought process for, mm. for political affiliation. Um, I know we just took a, a quick change of... I'm more of a throwing bricks guy. <laughs> Rob is. I'm more of an intellectual. <laughs> Um, but seriously, uh, do your homework and vote. That's the best way to try and make sure that these things can be overturned again and solved and fixed for, for people in, in dire situations who are, who are currently now very scared for outcomes of things that they were in the middle of doing and then being told, no, you're not allowed. Um, I will say the company I work for, uh, is actually offering travel reimbursement. Uh, if you cannot safely get the medical help you need in your state uh they're offering travel reimbursement to travel uh mm-hmm. to another state to do so so that's that's pretty cool a lot of places that is pretty cool. dick's yeah dick's sporting goods uh is doing the same if you saw their their uh yeah i've, I've seen quite a few uh companies i saw the the people who make the halo games are doing that dick's yeah. sporting goods was like the first one i remember seeing yeah yeah it's 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 interesting it's cool and it's people on the right side of history and that's what that's what's most yeah. important um Bricks Other are pretty than... cheap at Home Depot. Uh, you can look up uh, some pretty good recipes for getting tear gas out of your eyes. Anyways, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a, a a doctor mic real quick. Stay happy and healthy, everybody. Um, you know where to find us on Twitter, on Gmail, on Facebook. Um, I'm gonna say it again. We're beating a dead horse, but Instagram's coming at some point. We're gonna figure it out. Um, we really just have to, we will defeat that dragon. We, we, we will, we will defeat it. Uh, and we will figure that one out for everybody. Um, if you didn't get a chance to listen to episode 50, we did collab with trilogy podcast, um, with Scott and Ben. That was a great episode, much longer episode because we literally pitched three films for a trilogy over some fine Mexican beers. <laughs> check it out. Uh, check out their podcast as well. Go say hi. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us. I don't think I really have anything else, Rob. Nope. Uh, well, we love you all. So until next time, I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And that's what we got. What Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Vice. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Vice. 